16. Yeah, show it. Six. Yeah, baby, bigger. inch by 20. <laughs> you think this is 16 inch? I do. Hi. Hi. We're Avant Gossip. I'm Hope. I'm Jackie. And we're just two besties reading about art, fashion, and design, going on rabbit holes, and then hanging out in your basement and talking about it. <laughs> exactly. We focus a lot on design, aesthetics, um, art, subcultures. And today we're talking about the New Deal art programs. But before we get started, Jackie, what's trending for you? What's trending for me is being a good person. No, uh, saying yes to things. I am cat sitting two cats. Two cats in one home or two cats in multiple homes? uh, Multiple homes. And I also, you know, made food for Thanksgiving, just like, you know, a side dish. So that, but still, yeah, I had to work on it. Yeah. And then I also made some banners with the gays and then uh, try to go to uh, two what's it called rallies and then i also helped a elderly gay today so with their mattress right yeah with their mattress i had to help them move it was uh really endearing to see there's something about old gay old gay old lesbians that i really love mm-hmm. truly love and one of their best friends i was with sue was the elderly gay lesbian and Mar- marcella was the other the one that we were helping move into the senior center, mm. which now I'm like, I want to start volunteering for the senior center. Mm. Like, and you know how to play bridge. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking, I was like, maybe I should teach a class there or something because Marcella was so sweet and so appreciative. And she's like, I hope I see you again. And Aww. yeah. And she says she has friends there and I believe her and it's cute. Like, and she's right in Pike market. Wait, so the person you helped move, how did you meet them? Literally, somebody was like, can someone help an elderly gay? And I was on Instagram and I was like, sure can. Um, Because I just feel like people don't say yes to these things often enough. Um, And Sue was like from Seattle and was just like, getting old is such a fuck. She said that? Yeah, she's like, she went to the JVP. Jewish Voices for Peace. Yeah, Jewish Voices for Peace when we went to, what's it called? the federal building and we went to the federal building and there was like an elderly crew that bounded themselves to the door so no one could get in and she was part of that crew and she got like slammed by the cops i know like a few elderly people dead insane so she says that was like that was like what three four weeks ago at this point and she's like still recovering she's of dead. course yeah because like you don't bounce back you're not spring chicken no more and that's what she was saying she was just like I feel like I just got, I mean, she got tousled, but like nothing broke or anything, but yeah. That's all it takes though at that age from what I hear. Yeah. She also told me she was an auto mechanic. I'm like, what is your deal? (laughs) Sue? (laughs) You're like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to understand you. Yeah. Well, there's like something different between like 
I don't know, lesbians that were out in the 70s were are a different breed. And it's because they, I don't know, you could afford to be poor, I think, back then. So you could also afford to, like, I don't know, have a weird job. So I feel like everybody now that's, like, um, young and queer are, like, nannies. Mm. I swear to God. Interesting. That's Ver- good. I want them raising people's kids. That's true. But I just, you know, we do have some auto mechanics. We have a repair revolution. But I would like some more lesbian, young auto mechanics in my life just personally i just found an auto mechanic that i am i'm gonna be loyal to i think moving forward so i do do you not want to give it away they're just they're called your family auto they're in central district there's no fanfare you just show up i was like hey i called about needing blah 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 and they're like okay and i just like give them my keys and leave it was just like very i don't know it's i just love things that are very informal and you're kind of like i don't know am are you gonna fix my car um but yeah, they were great. Fixed my light, hundred bucks. That's nice. Yeah, I uh, also Sue. Side note about Sue. She also we were talking about PTO, and she was like, "What is PTO?" And I was like, "How do you even have never had a job that's had PTO? What does this mean?" My mom didn't know what that acronym meant either. I feel like people back in the day had time to say the full words. <laughs> <laughs> I said paid time off, and she was like, "So you get like time off and it's paid?" And I'm like, "Yeah." yeah mm. so again i'm confused mm. on what are people doing <laughs> how do <Yeah>. you <laughs> right i mean there's a reality where people have jobs that if you don't show up you just don't get paid i don't know yeah and i'm like but i'm like what i don't just i just don't know i feel like sue's been in situations where that's not been a problem but i don't know i don't know sue mm. anyway shout out to sue love i love that person just met him today and huge fan great <laughs> that's love all it. <clears throat> and they also spoke spanish to each other at some point and i also really liked that yeah, it's always great to hear another language. It is always great. It's two biddies fighting in Spanish. Mm. Yeah, friends fighting is a vibe. It is, and, and when old they're friends old fighting, friends where fighting. they're like, you're not, you're not like fighting over a boyfriend, and this isn't gonna like ruin you. No, it's, I, I mean, th- nothing's gonna ruin them at this point. Right. They've been oh, friends. It's till death. It's till death for Sue and what's it, Marcella. Marcella. They've been friends for forty years, and yeah, and I do love. Uh, friendships fighting because I'm like this is friendship that is that is true friendship like just like and yeah Marcella was like we've been friends for 40 years um and some we and part of that is fighting and I was like don't you don't have to tell me <laughs> you're like I am the queen <laughs> of that yeah vibe. this is this is I get it that's it it's just nice to see mm. anyways it was also nice to go to Pike Market even though like Sue was Jewish and Sue was like, oh, it's, a, it's in your face, all this Christmas stuff. And I was like, oh, too. I didn't realize Pike Market, Pike, Pike Place Market was like Christmas out. Why would you? We wouldn't go there unless uh, you're moving somebody or it's your family's you're in town. So it is like one of those tourist destinations. I think the Seattle tourism. I love the tourist places in Seattle. Like I Pike love Pike Market. Market. Yeah. yeah. It's just a nice, it's a cool place. I, 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 I love the shops there. Yeah. I keep forgetting that there's shops there, though. Mm. There's some music. I was like, Marcel, you really got this nice spot, mm. dude. Anyways, I was kind of jealous of the setup just because they're, they're right outside. You, like, pretend to be old so you can move into the <laughs> senior center. <laughs> Honestly, I would love the ladies there. Aww. I would be a huge hit. Yeah, you would. <laughs> I could Definitely. lift things for them. <laughs> yeah, they love that. Anyways, what is trending with you, Hope? Uh, trending for me is reconsidering various life decisions. Uh, I told you I was going to tell you the story on air and we've barely seen each other besides for like a protest anyway so 
it hasn't really been that hard to to hold out but yeah um right after so last episode we recorded i feel like we were both or maybe just me we were both like on our last limb we had been at the capitol the day before protesting and busy with various things morale was low and i went straight from recording to a little dance competition and oh yeah i thought that was just practice no it was a competition i told you this this oh yeah person that I know from dance asked me to do this right. competition. It's called a Strictly. There's Jack and Jill's where you draw a random partner, and then a Strictly is where you enter with a partner. Yeah. Did y'all practice that before the we recorded, though? It was like that day, the same day? We hadn't really. We'd like practiced at socials when we'd seen each other, but like okay. not, not like formally. But she asked me to do the Strictly with her, and I, I don't, to be honest, particularly like dancing with her. I don't think we danced that well together and she's smaller than me and I'm just kind of like I'm a small person so I'm at, like everyone I dance with or like 75, 80, 90 percent of the people I dance with are bigger than me so I'm just used to that uh-huh. and whatever. I don't know. I was kind of like okay sure like I'm doing this for friendship. Yeah yeah yeah. Um, I don't really think this is gonna go great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I yeah I feel like you're setting up the story this is just the truth though <laughs> but yeah obviously it's a setup of the story linguistically <laughs> um, so we get there do it and part of the thing is that you get feedback there's like intermediate dancers who watch you and they like give you written feedback that you go collect afterwards so we like pick up our feedback and we go back to the table and Mine is like pretty harsh, to be honest. It was like one of them just said like work on body, which was like funny. Obviously, it's funny because like they don't mean like go work out. But right. It's like right. funny because that's how it sounds. And I was like trying to joke like luckily I'm like I really gotta... confident. Yeah. And think I'm so fucking hot. Like, yeah. Or else that would offend me. She was like, oh, my God, kill yourself. And I was like, oh, wow. Like. What a weird Ooh, that's like a 2008 joke i know and what a weird thing to say and then she just like didn't stop she was like reading my feedback out to people and kept being like oh my god are you okay please text me when you get home are you gonna kill yourself and she what like what the fuck wouldn't stop that's psychotic behavior it was really really weird and i Does was she have friends yeah that's the thing she's like really friendly but that's the thing about mean girls. She's also a life coach. Uh, the most dangerous ones are. That's just all that's all weird to me. I, oh, that's why what I'm like reconsidering my life decisions where I'm like why why like I just why? Yeah. I I really like it in a lot of ways and I've had a lot of fun and I really like dancing to pop music and and it's like cool to get better at something like I was taking a private lesson the other day and my teacher had me doing like body rolls against the wall and I'm like it's really cool to like work on your spine movement right and, like, really see yourself improve and have like more mobility and whatever but having someone yell at you to go kill yourself in front of a lot of people and, and then read out your comments like that that's it, so it was like very humiliating it's not a community building and I don't know it's really punching down there's no like the weird thing is, it's like, it, you're a team. Like, when you dance together, you're a team. And if you're not acknowledging that, like, you have a part in that. Also, leads progress through competitions way faster. Because when you're a follow, you have your own mistakes. And you're also 
absorbing the mistakes of the mm-hmm. lead because they're leading you. So to like not acknowledge that like you guys are a partnership and that like you're affecting it is really weird. That is like, cause I'm going to say people that are like that, that obviously want to put people down. And I, I see it constantly. Cause I just don't think, I don't see the point in it. I, I get constructive criticism when you, especially when you want to be better, but there's a line and I think it's a big line. And it's a pretty obvious line in my personal opinion yeah. of when, when you start to like, lean into being unnecessarily unkind about it and the, that's a that's an obvious line that she crossed and people that only people that do that are usually just insecure about their own shit like yeah. and the only way for them to feel better about their insecurity is to make somebody feel below yeah. their self yeah it's just weird because i was like i swear she wants to be friends like she probably does because she's insecure and she sees how cool and like confident you are and then took it took an opportunity to be rather cruel rather cruel it was like i was just like so traumatized i it was like that and then like all of the you know shit that we're witnessing online it was just the next day in therapy i was just like i've never bawled in therapy that was just like yeah i was just bawling but yeah i mean it's it's particularly sensitive right time right now i was making banners with the gays and like one of them said not even a mean thing to me, but I was like, they hate me. And then I went home and like internalized it. it and it doesn't, I knew it, I was like, it's them, not me. And like, they don't even know my name. Like they don't <laughs> even care. But I do think there's, it's a particularly like sensitive, high strong time where we're like, we're, yeah, we're just so raw nerve wise yeah. of being like, yeah. I can't handle an ounce more of. And I also feel like we're living dual realities where it's like for some people, it's like totally. some of us are like really internalizing the pain that's being experienced totally. by Palestinians and people in the Republic of Congo, like uh, like lots of pain. Right. And other people just literally are not. I, I mean, yeah, I feel like I'm always bringing that kind of sadness in general in general with me. And yeah, it was very apparent like at Thanksgiving and stuff. I was like, I feel like I'm living this moment to moment and uh, I think a lot of other did you people talk about it. Yeah, of course I did. I, I made everybody do a prayer. We talked about it. And I'm just like, I feel like I'm the only one living like literally hour by hour to this. And everybody else is thinking about when I bring it up. Yeah. You know what I mean? I felt like I ruined, not ruined, but I felt embarrassed about what I said when we had to go around at my Thanksgiving talking about what we were thankful for. Cause I was like, I'm thankful that I can protest, not just that my government won't directly murder me for doing it, but the fact that I have a safety net where like my life won't be in disarray. Yeah. If I were, to get arrested and my I won't get fired yeah for right having these opinions but there's just something that feels really expressing gratitude is like such an important part of being human but it just feels like when you're saying what you're thankful for you're literally just saying I'm glad it's them and not me totally I'm glad that I have this thing that other people don't and I just couldn't get I just like couldn't get myself to be like I'm glad that I have this thing that other people don't. Totally. Totally. I get that. I am grateful for toiletry. And that is a big, that's exactly what you're saying like that. And it's because I realize they don't have it. Right. And yeah, it's definitely when you're like, damn. And then, but I think that's the thing where you have to at least feel that way or awareness of it. Cause that's the empathy part when you're just like, damn, like, not having soap and water for weeks on end and like dust on you. Yeah, that sounds yeah so hard. Woo! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we have fun here. <laughs> <laughs> I made us espresso martinis. Cheers. Yeah, baby. Ooh. So I feel like today might be a little bit of an upper. 
we'll see. This season might be, you know, this tis the season. Yeah, so. tis the season to a lot of family shit, Palestine. It's just too much, too much going on, feeling wise. Yeah, like, too much confrontation, confrontation happening. But but let's go back to the 1930s. Okay, when Roosevelt was sort of changing the way art looked in America, like in a socialist way, in a socialist way. Which Roosevelt? Um, was that Teddy? FDR, right? Right. Yeah. Who was the nephew of Teddy? I think. Jackson and his brother Sandy Pollock awoke to the news they're hiring artists with paintings tucked under their arms artists were dashing through the streets spreading the news door to door May Tabak Rosenberg recalls they were shouting with the excitement of children at a zoo yelling hurry grab some paintings hurry grab anything you've got framed and come along hurry so today I want to talk about the New Deal art programs and the artists whose work we know today as a result I'm going to talk about some of the overall programs and then I'm going to kind of like zoom in on two artists in particular as we go along so first off like what do you know about the new deal art programs um i watched craft in america which everybody should watch it's fucking blew my mind it literally blew because honestly i think america doesn't even have craft but there's some amazing artists out there that aren't like generic urban artists if you know what i mean they're like making stuff that i think is really impactful but anyways um, what do you mean generic urban artists when there's like no message really behind it mm -hmm. but they are like here's a beautiful mur mural or here's like a weird sculpture that, that right. doesn't say of right. anything significant yeah. like yeah i think these artists like go deep in their craft but also have a, a meaningful intention behind it that isn't like been washed by the city yeah and that and yet they're in america at the same time so anyways i know that one of the things that they brought up was they had a varnish artist do a hotel in Oregon because of this art deal. Like this, the whole CC, like everybody needed jobs. So they hired a bunch of people to do the hotel. But like artists were definitely deeply enriched in this hotel. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right on the money. Lots of projects that were about like beautifying public buildings, stuff like that. Um, Love that. And as we know, in 1933, America was in the throes of the Great Depression. And President Roosevelt was like, let's do something about this. So his New Deal introduced widespread relief and reform, including laws that addressed the banks, laws that protected labor organizing, laws to set minimum wages and maximum hours to work, and a relief program called the Works Progress Administration, or the WPA. Was this like the first time people got minimum, well, we set minimum wage? Was um, through the New Deal? I don't know if it was the very first, but I, yeah, I mean, I know there were some turn of the century labor laws that were like, you can't work like 100 hours, and that's like brought like some leisure to Americans but yeah it this was setting minimum wages and the WPA the Works Progress Administration made the federal government the largest employer in the nation because um, they're hiring people to do a bunch of shit and my vague notion of was like they're hiring people to build infrastructure buildings roads that's what we should be doing again support for agriculture but what I didn't know was that it also included funding for the arts and this was the first national arts program the U.S. ever had and to this day it's the most extensive I feel like hiring us being the number having our government as the number one 
that should just be the way it is. It had so many positive effects. Right. And then there's a lot more ability to say no to projects. Mm-hmm. To me, it makes the best sense because you're also, if you are the laborers, you are the people of the, of the government and then the, it's just harder to get away with bullshit. Well, I don't. yeah. And like that, you know, was the problem, I guess. Uh, yep. Um, and so some political context, nationalist reformers saw the state and local government's inability to cope with the depression as an opportunity to expand the power of the national government um, and thus unite the country around a socialist ideal. Businessmen saw the New Deal as a way to save capitalism by stimulating the economy, and many social reformers worked with the government to ensure a standard of living. Many socialists and communists supported major parts of the New Deal because it felt like it was moving society away from an individualistic ethic toward a more socially conscious one that would lead to a collectivist future. Roosevelt, however, he was trying to balance all of this. He was trying to balance left-wing collectivism with right-wing individualism, and to achieve this balance, the government utilized art as a vehicle to promote national heritage that was uniquely American. Marlene Park and Gerald E. Markowitz write, The fine arts went hand in hand with a strong economy, the two together creating a distinctly American culture. Art, it was thought, might actually help people weather the depression by giving them meaning and hopeful communal and government symbols. What a thought. Yeah. What a concept. Right. I mean, it seems like they're promoting culture. It's it's giving America's an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Totally. And like something that like we clearly don't have. Lack now. We lack. And like it was really savvy, frankly. I mean, it's it's interesting how it all unfolds because I guess if you have a divided nation, then art will also expose that, I think, to some degree. And we see that happening. But um, and that part that I just said was from this thesis called the new deal for artists the birth of abstract expressionism that was a thesis by jennifer m bowling um so we get the first three federal art programs the pwap one called section and one called tarp which not only provided relief for unemployed artists but also worked to democratize and nationalize art and culture so the most the largest and most comprehensive of the works progress act programs was the federal art project or wpa slash fap also known as the project and this operated from october of 1935 until june of 1943 and it had four main cultural programs art music theater and writing and like i said wpa made the federal government the largest employer in the nation and artists were on the payroll there were Several arts programs under the WPA that employed artists full-time, hiring them to produce public works of art. So there were paintings in airports, sculptures in public spaces, educational graphics and like works of art for schools. So often (coughs) these were made by lithograph or screen printing because they like wanted to produce a bunch of them. And program officials saw the project as a way to integrate the artists with society, thus giving the artists a sense of professionalism and usefulness. Audrey Monahan, a regional director of the Federal Arts Project, states, This new role had given the artist a new dignity, which came from an assurance of the artist's place in the social structure and from an audience for his work. From the obscurity of his own individualism, the artist had emerged to see himself as a worker and to recognize his identity in the light of a worker producing art for the American people. Which is interesting. It's kind of like they're trying to get like the artists on their side. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, yeah, you're an American artist. Like, you should be proud. You're making art for America. And so that was kind of like part of the intent of it. And there's this artist called Alice Neal who said, like, one day she gets a call. And they're like, come to the Whitney Museum. And they're like, do you want to work full time as an artist for $30 a week? And she's like, yeah. 
they're like recruiting people. Thirty dollars a week. I wonder how much money that is. People called it a living wage, but it was kind of like barely. I mean, yeah, yeah. I wonder if they have roommates then. I wonder what the living situation was. Yeah, yeah. It was probably a lot of. It probably was like mostly young people. Yeah, I used to have a part time job, and I could afford rent with two other roommates, and I still like did stuff. Yeah, and that's what I imagine. That's like. This is when rent was a little bit affordable. Things were like I mean, it was the depression, so it was like people weren't doing well. But it was like they it was like they were doing less bad cuz they had I mean, yeah, if you yeah, cuz they had like a salary and they got to do their art. I'm just wondering what rent was like. Right. Probably low. Yeah. And to qualify, but so to qualify for the to be on this project, you had to qualify for home relief and pass the means test or or the so-called popper's oath. What does that mean? I don't know. Poppers. Oh, what's poppers? Like an uh, is like a, a poor person. Poor person. Oh, like Prince and the Popper. Yeah. God, I guess they kept using that for a while. Yeah, that that term stayed relevant. I'm just like imagining the Popper's oath being like, "Thou shalt not like, I don't know." Oh my God. Buy fresh cheese. Like, what is the Popper's oath? I promise I don't have any rich family members. Or just not to what's it called? Betray the your class. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, like cops do every day. I, but I was wondering there, this is all coming together because like when you said poppers, I immediately thought, and maybe, you know, listener popper that you sniff, uh huh, like the drug. Right. And just how that, that's like what we, I think that's the first thing most people think of. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the word popper, doesn't get thrown. It's like we, we, we call people on the street unhoused. Like we're not like, Oh, look at that popper. <laughs> <laughs> um and then there was a costume i'm remembering now a tiktok that was like princess and some person dresses as princess and then someone else dresses like the bottle popper oh oh my god Prin- princess the prince and the popper yeah oh my gosh wow <laughs> that's good it is funny that like being dressing poor is like a halloween costume yeah i mean they're they were dressed as the drug right but right so i haven't seen anybody dressed up as poor like kasha did this year she was like a peasant oh she was yeah she, yeah which was funny she said that she showed up to andrew's party it was like a bunch of like glamorous like really attractive gay men and she and, had like a dirty kitchen and she was like yeah dressed like uh, a servant yeah. yeah well okay and and uh her peasant version i will say it was like she's from poland so she really was just a polish peasant which somehow is less offensive sure <laughs> yeah (laughs) yeah definitely so as part of my research i watched this documentary called artists at work a film on the new deal art projects it i watched it on canopy using my local library card Uh um so i i recorded a bunch of clips that i'm gonna include in here i feel like it's fine because it's public domain um no it a hundred percent is um, it was produced by Mary Lance, who created New Deal Films Incorporated in 1980 to produce independent documentaries. I sent you some of her work, and I was telling you about it the other day. One of the ones I didn't mention when we talked was that she did a documentary on rural libraries, which I also was like, Ooh. it all sounds super interesting. Yeah. And what's cool about the documentary is that most of it is like interviews with the artists who were part of the new deal oh wait was was this for during her time period like was this during the depression or was this like when the documentary was made is made in the 80s 80s okay um yeah documentaries were becoming a thing then i feel like and one of the artists 
who was in the documentary and one of the artists that I'm going to focus a little bit on right now is Jacob Lawrence. I know that name. Yeah. Where do you know that name from? Oh my God. It's going to kill me. He's either, is he a textile artist? No. Where do I know him from? He, he um, from UW, there's a Jacob Lawrence gallery. Oh my God. Okay. But there's more to the story then. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't born a gallery <laughs> no <laughs> he wasn't born a gallery he was born september 7th 1917 which makes him fellow virgo yes. <laughs> uh we love representation like jacob lawrence like jacob lawrence is who you want within your sun sign yeah he got a gallery named after him and that's all virgos really want at the end of the day. well it's so much it's so much more than that so he in this documentary he talks about how he had never thought about being a full-time artist he was just working delivering newspapers and working in laundries and like the thought of being an artist just didn't occur to him as being a possibility like he was gonna paint no matter what but he didn't think of being a full-time artist i don't believe him well he's a black man that grew up with a single mom like so the he's maybe his the possibility in his mind was not there like it wasn't even really ever a real option yeah yeah i was admitted to the wpa project being paid the fabulous sum of 23.86 a week is the very first time i was paid i was a student prior to that i didn't even think of being an artist i worked in laundries i delivered newspapers i didn't think of making art a career if you think in terms of being paid for art i know i would have painted i i maybe i would have been delivered painted uh, papers until today, or working uh, or laundry. I, I didn't think of that. I, that was not my uh, thinking. So everything that's happened to me has happened because of that period. But I, I still feel like there's something in like him maybe he that wanted. I mean, you can't. I mean, that I, had like a little spark. If he was gonna paint, no matter what, there was some determination there, regardless. I mean, the way he describes it, he just he would have painted because he loves to paint. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So he grew up with a single mom. They moved around. At one point, she moves to New York to seek a job as a garment worker. And he and his siblings are in foster care. Eventually, they all reunite in Harlem, basically right before the Great Depression. He eventually, like, quit school to support her. And, like, so he's not really in the class of people who's, like, I'm going to be, like, art is a career option for me. So, like, he's born 10 years after lee miller and they're both in new york and so just like they're living in very different realities in terms of like what it means for them to be an artist so eventually he reunites with his mom in harlem right before the great depression and this is right after the harlem renaissance which was basically a time when black americans are renowned for their contributions to world culture from musicals to jazz to visual arts and poetry this is the era of langston hughes langston hughes poet Uh uh-huh what what poem do you know? Not to put you on the spot, but I'm like, why is that familiar? I should know Langston Hughes. American poet, social activist, novelist, playwright, and columnist from Missouri. One of the earliest innov- innovators of the literary form called jazz poetry. Best known as a leader of the Harlem Renaissance. He famously wrote about the period that the Negro was in vogue, which was later paraphrased as when Harlem was in vogue. He wrote poetry. And yeah. I should know that. He was, re- he was, re- Langston Hughes was very important. And the Harlem Renaissance was kind of a result of black Americans moving north from the south because during World War One there was a, fa- a shortage of factory workers in the north. So 
a lot of people move north and Harlem is a hub and you have this proliferation of arts and the Great Depression kind of ends the Harlem Renaissance. But then during the New Deal, in addition to paying artists to make works for buildings and, you know, to produce art, it also funded community art centers, um, including one in Harlem. And, you know, these art centers were not just in major cities, but in rural areas. There's a ton of them. I started mapping them. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, I, that needs to be not mapped. Yeah. Um, and so you have these like Harlem Renaissance artists who are like mentoring the next generation of black artists at this arts like community center. And so Jacob Lawrence was there. His future wife, Gwendolyn Knight, who was from Barbados, were also there. And not only were people there like educating each other about art, but they were also sharing social ideas. And so Lawrence in this documentary says how like it really shaped his thinking and like he kind of is like everything I am today is like because of that time. Because we they were given the freedom to think critically, but also like time to spend with those thoughts. And a place, a place to like to gather and have community and to like nurture each other. And um, and this is also what happens in 1929, Jackie, that's relevant about art in New York. Um, a crash happens, right? Well, the MoMA, the MoMA is created. Oh, and, and well, yeah, well, because it was, that, yeah, 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 it was created that right happens before like at the same time. The crash, right? And so him and his, him and Gwen are going to MoMA. They're getting all juiced about art. They're like going to this arts community center, and he's super talented. Like he has his first solo show in 1936 when he's just 19, and then he gets a scholarship to go to the American Artist School in New York. Um, he's still super poor, but like he gets to go to this art school. And that's like kind of to what you were saying where it's like he clearly did have goals and like aspirations. It's like, yeah, he like wanted to go to this art school and um, whatnot. And you can't become a WPA artist until you're 21. Can't unless you can take a shot of vodka. Yeah. But I think by then, I want to say 21 wasn't until like the 60s or 70s. That that was the legal drinking age. Yeah. I feel like that was a more recent phenomenon. And even in the 70s, you didn't really have to be 21. Right. I don't know why there was that restriction on making art for the government but i don't either because like i definitely know my stepdad talks about the 70s and 80s he's like we all drank and drove and it was no big deal yeah my mom so my sister's getting married and i at a courthouse and my mom was like talking about we want to like you can only have so many people in the courthouse so we're gonna like wait outside and like have some sort of celebratory thing and my mom was like let's bring like little champagne glasses and champagne like i don't want to throw rice I don't want to get in trouble for throwing rice or anything and I was like you are clearly from Tennessee because you think that littering is more illegal than public drinking (laughs) (laughs) very true but he's from Michigan which is where alcoholics are born your stepdad yeah oh yeah like that is the home of alcoholics I swear oh really like famous ones or like just just normal people every Michigan I've ever met like drinks heavily as a hobby well yeah you have to get through the winter amen I'm not, I'm not knocking them. I mean, I'm like, honestly, my stepdad brought the fun into the house for finally allowing uh, my mom to drink. Mm. Um, loosened, loosened it up. Yeah. Uh, so anyways. Yeah, they do. It's called a social lubricant for a reason. Amen. We have a bar at my house. He offers it the moment I come in the house. That would have never existed if, unless he was there. So yeah, alcohol, it's like, it's not fun when it gets problematic, but like, right. It really feels necessary to, to like navigating the human condition sometimes yeah he'll be like you want to sex on the beach and i'm like ew 
I mean, that is a drink. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he likes to say that to people. I'm sure. That's, yeah, I'm sure he does. But he does offer drinks. That margarita, like, those are his options. I mean. He'll never do a, what is your favorite drink? A Negroni. I, yeah, heard, I heard you never. went on a diatribe about it the other night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you were like, no one actually likes Negroni. And I'm like, literally, I hate this take because it's the same thing people say about IPAs. And it's like literally some, pe- some people like bitter flavors and others don't. It's like genetic. Yeah, but I feel like some people think it's sophisticated. So they're like, yeah, I like it. And I got um, Andrew, the newbie, to finally admit that he actually doesn't like Negroni. As I, was oh like, my I fucking you knew scared it. Andrew. Andrew was shaking in his boots and he was like, she's going to she's gonna ruin my reputation. No, he took one sip and said... I saw his face and then like we were talking and midway through he was like I gotta tell you I gotta be honest I, you're right I don't like them oh my god <laughs> I hate he also it. bought me cigarettes so thank you Andrew oh Andrew he ran to the 7-eleven anyways what a young what a young spirit like 20 literally like 23 we baby. love that energy <laughs> um okay so as a new deal artist Jacob Lawrence gets to paint he uses bold colors and he tells stories of black American life and important figures within the black community. His art explores the human condition, American history and themes of social justice, especially as it connects to the African-American experience. He's known for the migration series, which chronicles that mass movement of African-Americans from the rural South to industrial cities that I mentioned. He started painting this in 1940 and he referred to his style as dynamic Cubanism, dynamic Cubism an art form popularized in Europe, which drew great inspiration from West African and Mesoamerican art. Wait, is he from Washington then? No. Okay, so you're getting to the point where he, why he's named after a gallery? Yeah. Okay, okay. You're leading up to that. <laughs> yeah. Someone interviewed on KUOW, local station, described him as the greatest figurative abstractionist. Um, and he like referred to the simplicity of his figure, saying something like, if you're showing something complicated, you should show it in a simple art. I have a note on my... I have something in my notes that says, show Jackie his art. Okay. This is all coming back to me because now the gallery, is it's not in um, the College of Built Environments. It's actually in the art um, department. Yeah. And I remember someone being like, you know Jacob Lawrence and me lying just because I didn't want to be taught. I didn't want to learn and I wanted to act like I knew art. So I was like, yeah, I, it's all coming back to me. Oh, wow. They're like, you know his story, right? And I was like, absolutely. absolutely. That's my favorite story. <laughs> yeah, of course <laughs> I do. Now I'm actually learning it. I knew it would come around eventually. Right. You're like, I know it in the sense that time isn't linear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, he's an artist, right? Like, how much more do I need to know? Yeah. Well, so here's like kind of a style... Yeah. I love this. Yeah. Oh, what is that? You know what this is giving? The mm. style? It's it's very like paper cut, but there was a black comic like show. There was not like like a almost comic strip but that was look like cutouts. Mm. Um I think it was on PBS. I love this. And like it, I love how there's no shading really. Well, I this looks like that PBS show. Mm. Oh, it's going to kill me. Part of me is like, okay, you guys, this PBS show I'm thinking of is it's a bald black child of like eight and he's teaching things about things and he has a whole family. It's, it was on PBS. I'm almost sure. But he looks like he was like made out of paper. Like, oh, is it Little Bill? Yes, Little Bill. I just Googled bald black child PBS. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can, can you see, see that. the aesthetic? There's not, there's not really shadows to it. It's very right. flat. Right. Anyways, maybe they were influenced by Jack- Jacob Lawrence. That would be layered. Yeah. Um, and 
He and his wife and fellow artist Gwen Knight moved to Seattle where he began teaching at UW. <gasps> there we go. Yeah. And he sounds like a very gifted teacher. Really, like, he helped artists complete their goals. Like, he helped them say what they wanted to say. Like, he sounds like the kind of art teacher that was just, like, on your side. Like, would go to your art exhibition and, like... When was this? Because that doesn't exist no more. Art teachers are there to destroy your soul. Oh, my gosh. I will say all the art professors that I have had have been constructive at UW. Have been constructive in a way... That almost hurts my feelings a lot of the time. It hurt my feelings, actually. But they were right all the time, every time they said something. Yeah. And I feel like I'm better artist because of them. Sometimes it's nice when people say things in a way that's not, like, rude. But... Oh, well, no, they didn't do that. They definitely said it rude. Um, shout out to Aphrodite Sara. Love you. Thank you for all the things that you've done. So he became a visiting artist at the University of Washington in 1970 and was a professor there from 1971 to 1986. Great time to be at UW, quite honestly. Yeah, um, there was an exhibit about him at the Henry, which is a museum that's right by the... Free. It's a free museum. I forget. Is it free if you're not a student? Don't know that part. I was free for us when we were students, and so. it was right by our building at UW, so... Some students don't know that, and I'm just telling you, if you're if you're going to UW, you should drop by Henry Art, because I remember I told a student that was going to UW, I was like, oh, have you gone to the Henry Art Museum? They're like... You mean the Burke? And I was like, no, bitch. I meant the Henry Art Museum. It's like, yeah, it's right in your back door. You pass door. it. You yeah, pass it. It's a great museum. I want to go there more often. And when they had this exhibit on him, there was a huge line at the opening and all these people came to see his art, but also to tell him how much he had impacted their life. Aww. Um, he was very generous with his time. Like I was saying, he would go to people's shows and like just an amazing Virgo person. Yeah. <laughs> also probably not great with his boundaries, but I wonder. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, the 70s, 80s, I feel like people had a lot more time. I have no reason to back that up. But maybe everything was densified or maybe, like, there wasn't as much traffic. I don't know what about it, but I feel like there was just, like, a more a more casual, like, also people couldn't get a hold of you instantaneously, so you could be late. And it was just, like, everybody was kind of late because it was just, like, everybody trying to achieve a time. And I mean, being a professor was also his job. So, like, and probably the constraints on being a professor was – were less at that time. Yeah, you, you know? probably didn't have to make her. I don't know what it's like to be an art professor. Right. I feel like uh, professors now have to write all the time, and that's like their whole thing. It's like they have to be published. published well, and published. they have to teach like a lot of classes because we don't allow researchers to just be researchers in this country. They have to like have two jobs basically. Yeah. So anyway, Jacob Lawrence in the documentary talks about how it takes like years and years for an artist to come into their own. Like he was a New Deal artist in his 20s. And at the time of the documentary, he was in his 60s. And I think like it just kind of gets at like how this these programs like allowed artists to find themselves like all these young artists who were able to develop their crafts and like start their careers essentially. And so as a New Deal artist, you would show up to this building on King Street in Manhattan. I don't know if the, the program was only in New York, but if you were in New York, you would show up to this building on King Street in Manhattan and your supervisor would give you an assignment. Artists in the easel division were required to submit a painting in four to eight weeks, depending on the size of the canvas. Uh -huh. For example, artists were given four weeks to complete a 16 by 20 inch canvas. 14 inch? 16. Yeah, show it. 16. Yeah, baby, bigger. Inch by twenty. You think this is sixteen inch? I do. 16? I wonder. I wish. I feel like we should measure it out because I am curious. What by twenty? By twenty. Yeah. Just a guess, just to see. Um, eight, twenty. Twenty. 
No, that's yeah. This is for our, our YouTube TikTok. <laughs> yeah, this is what's gonna bring me YouTube. <laughs> Watch us estimate the American what do you think? measurement system. Sixteen <laughs> or sixteen. Anyways. That's something we're supposed to know as like designers. It's like how you're supposed to like have this measure. Like you have like parts of your own body measures. So you can like estimate things. Anyway, eight weeks for a 24 by 36 canvas, three weeks for a watercolor. I don't know. But like that sounds pretty great to me. I love it when giving a time estimate that is more realistic than like a night. Four to eight weeks. Yeah. Sometimes you could take longer. One of them was saying you could extend your deadline like a normal job. You know, you're like, I'm not done yet. Like a normal job, you can extend your deadline? I mean, yeah. Do you extend your deadlines at your job? Sometimes. I, I mean, mostly I just that. like don't... Tell them that you're extending Well, your it's deadline. like, I just like, I'm kind of like, you don't get to just pick a date and then I'm going to be done. It's like, there's things happening. Yeah, except for writers. I think they have to. They do get extensions if they're writing books, but if yeah. you're like a newspaper it's writer... It's like why there's a word extension. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> because people don't always finish in time. But no one should finish in time. Yeah. But essentially, it's just like they're it's like a normal job. They're working a normal job. And one thing the program did was create a community among artists. They would meet each other when they were like going to collect their paychecks at this building or they'd be working on projects together. Because like if you're in the mural division, there's like assistance, you know, there's like multiple people working on the mural. And rather than being in competition with each other, they were friendly. Like there was community because there wasn't that aspect of like. Yeah, there wasn't privatized versions of having to like fight for the same clients. Yeah. And the same and the like and gallery. That's what I'm saying. Everybody should be hired by the government. Yeah. So and there was cross pollination, like essentially and kind of like meeting the goal of the project, like what I was describing earlier, like they weren't producing art within a vacuum. Or like a small amongst a small group of rich friends, they were like mixing and influence each other. Like you didn't have to sleep with some psychopath to get him to teach you to use a camera. Are you sure about that? Because I feel like women still did. Not under the WPA. Do, were women hired under the WPA? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna start my second artist. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and I talked about Alice Alice Neal. Yeah, during the 1930s, many young future abstract expressionists who worked on the project the WPA got together and discussed politics. They exchanged ideas on art and rallied for artist rights. For example, artists such as Adolf Gottlieb, Mark Rothko, who were also members of the artists union and the American artists Congress. By the way, Adolf wasn't Adolf until later. Oh, really? Well, Adolf Hitler didn't come really. I mean, he was thirties. He oh. was peaking. Oh, but right. right, 40s. right. It's also Adolf with a PH just in case that matters. I mean, no, it, it doesn't, but just saying that name, that's yeah wasn't the, offensive the name gone out of vogue yeah um they formed groups such as the 10 which worked to bring abstract art to the mainstream through traveling exhibitions and i mean you had a whole episode where you talked about abstract art and how it blew everyone's mind mm -hmm. in america and so well pissed everybody off pissed everyone off right and, and until like yeah the 30s 40s late 30s 40s yeah and so yeah this is really like kind of like the climax or like a really like pivotal point for art in America because also like there wasn't really art in America and like the thing about the new deal was that like Americans were learning what modern art was and they were kind of like learning what art was like if it wasn't for the new deal who knows how much of this people would even know because prior to this like most Americans hadn't seen a painting like yeah exactly there was not a lot of visuals being circulated period right and like in Europe people would take art classes like especially rich people but like the U.S. didn't really have that. And like Roosevelt gave this speech about how Americans 
were taught to believe that art was foreign to them and themselves but under this program they see people they know doing art and they're like oh art like it's part of us like you know like it's not a foreign thing a few generations ago the people of this country were often taught to believe that art was something foreign to America and to themselves. But recently, within the last few years, yes, in our lifetime, they have discovered that they have a part. They have seen their own towns, in their own villages, Pictures painted by their sons, their neighbors, people they've known and lived beside and talked to. Under this program, children were attending arts classes. For many, this was their first exposure. Like, again, comparing it to Lee Miller, growing up with artist parents and, like, being rich. She Does she have artist parents? Well, her dad, I guess he was into photography, but he wasn't an artist. Yeah, he was a full-on engineer. He was an engineer, yeah. He just, like... Yeah. But he had he had the access to, which is still expensive photography, right? And like, but and so this was like including art into public education. And let's not forget took naked pictures of Lee Miller. Oh God, I did forget. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget that. Um, a lot of WPA artists also displayed their art at world's fairs. There's this artist called Chaim Gross who talks about being, he was a sculptor and he would be at these events and he'd be like answering people's questions. They sounded so dumb, the questions. They'd be like, what do you do with the cracks in the statues? Or like, have you ever seen a figure with such heavy legs or body? Like, cause that, that second one was dumb. I do want to know what they did with the cracks. That's fair. I don't have answers for you, but <laughs> he'd be like, look around. Like people have all kinds of shapes. Like, yeah. Idiot. Idiots. But basically, people are seeing art, and that's big, but they're having trouble with abstract art because, as you know, modern art made a lot of people freak out, like, as if trans people were using a bathroom or something. Yeah. They were just like, I can't. Like, why? It's like, it's stretching my thinking. And there weren't as many jobs for abstract artists under the New Deal as other artists, but, like, it did bring us artists like Joseph Stella, Stuart Davis, Francis Chris. And so a lot of people were seeing these abstract murals, and they, like, didn't know what to make of them, like... People thought art should express like the American spirit. They still held this belief of like it like it shouldn't be like squiggles and shapes. And so people are seeing this shit like show up in airports and they're like they don't they don't know what to make of it. There's this artist named Arshel Gorky who paints a series of abstract murals at Newark Airport. And when Mayor LaGuardia came to the gallery where they were exhibiting the easel paintings because they would do like easel paintings before the full mural. So the artist like is explaining what the painting's all about. It's like it's like about flight. Like a lot of these murals at the airports were supposed to be about flight, but then it's like abstract, and so like people don't get it. And mayor the mayor just walks away and says, "I'm as conservative in my art as I am progressive in my politics." So he's super progressive. Yeah, I guess. Well, I don't know. People that are progressive would not be conservative in any capacity. Yeah, it was like too much for them. Um, yeah, yeah, and I still think people think this. By the way, you hear dads all the time. Oh my god, yeah. When I I've said this a million times, but every time I go to Seattle Art Museum with my dad, we go through the modern stuff first because it's like the first thing you get to, and then right. we get to the Italian paintings, and he goes, "Now this is art." Yeah, classic. Yeah, yeah, and FDR was very pro abstract art in the sense that Eleanor was like very pro it. So he's the one that made that announcement about MoMA opening up and. Mm, mm-hmm. Basically is the reason like get 
what not listen oh not, we don't call it the same thing we, get, we don't get views you know or whatever but people, like exposure exposure out into the mainstream like people he literally talks about it on one of his fire chats so i think that's and part of it was because one of his advisors was very pro art i think he comes up at eleanor point, but, i think it was eleanor well another guy too okay, okay. who was like in charge of the the wpa but he like believed in the value of art and modern art in particular yeah. And within the early federal relief programs, the, the art programs, artists were highly encouraged to paint in the American regionalist style, which portrayed an enriched American life while dissuading social realism and other styles of European modernism. So that was like the beginning. I think also now it's kind of remember, it's reminding me, I think there was a lot of a push for abstractism because there was less criticism through the government that way. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, there was not like not political commentary through when it's abstract, right? And for the from the artist's point of view too, where they were like, "Don't fire me," like it's just abstract art. But so in the beginning, they're like, "Okay, American regionalism, aka American scene painting, nineteen twenties to fifties, celebrates small town town America. It conveys a sense of nationalism and romanticism in everyday American life. It was for the most part conservative, and it was designed to appeal to the popular." sensibility and so that's like the the first few art programs they were like really pushing that um, but artists under the wpa were allowed even encouraged to experiment with a variety of styles such as social realism surrealism and abstraction the earlier programs were like okay guys paint about america don't embarrass us and but they the wpa did not restrict style or content like like it kind of depends on who you ask and which division you're in like it seemed like the easel division was like the most loosey-goosey which like makes sense it was like it's just a painting that's going to go on a wall. But like the murals and sculptures were a little more like restricted. Mm -hmm. This artist, Alice Neal, talks about how she was she was still painting what she would have been painting. Otherwise, they weren't dictating what she had to paint. But there was one time where like she had to take blood out of a painting. And this was fish blood. It was the painting had like a woman skinning a fish. Mm. And uh, they were like, you got it. Like people don't want to see that. But eventually she like, yeah, they do. I mean, yeah. Have I you do. seen A24, dude, in the 30s? Because people love blood. I don't know if there's actually any blood in A24. The whole thing about A24 is that it gives you pure anxiety and there's no, like, come down. Oh, interesting. It's not like that it's bloody. It's like, <laughs> it's just like, <sighs> it's like your imagination does the work for them. Yeah, you're stressed out the whole time and you want the hammer to come down and it never really does. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, good point. They were like, that's, yeah, they, that's what I must have been thinking. They were like, have them imagine the fish blood and the, the woman skinning the fish. Yeah. But these are ancestors of A24. Right. Yeah. But she like buys the painting back at some point, and like puts the blood back. I don't know. Um, How do you do that? Well, because eventually these paintings are going to be going for cheap. Uh, spoiler. But um, wait, because that she decided to get rid of the blood, it became cheap. No, there's just like this program isn't going to last forever and tell me about it. Something sad's going to happen. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you spoiler the new deal ended. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to push the new, new deal at this point And it's like the old new, new deal. That's never going to happen. Yeah. The green deal, the green. Oh yeah. The green new deal. Yeah. So and then maybe there'll be like a pink deal or like a bedazzled deal. Oh my God. Yes. Early Y2K deal. Yeah. Which is just uh, not about the Y2K at all, but aesthetically a Y2K. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're like, we don't want to abuse Britney Spears anymore, to be clear, but we do want to wear going out tops. And bedazzled flip phones. Mm -hmm. and I mean, not really. Like, I don't actually want a flip phone. 
I love flip phones. Get one then. I've thought about it over and over again, but then how would I download my signal and, and Facebook market? Right. These are things that I literally am like, what keeps me on. Yeah. Um, but so whether you were in the mural division or, or the easel division, there was an approval process. Like, like the artists were choosing their own subjects, but there was an approval process. So like it would go through an admin person who would have to approve it. And then it would also have to be approved by the supervisor of whatever building or like institution it was going into. So like some of the art, do you not like the drink? No, did I make a face? I just yeah. don't like alcohol mm. in general, but That's I do fair. like the drink. That's fair. So like if you were going to make an art for like, if you were making art for like a school, the like principal or whatever would have to okay it. So like, Ew. Yeah. Principals do not have good taste. And I mean, especially these, because like they've never even like seen art, literally. How dare they even let them be decision makers? There's the way that people who should not be making decisions about design are making decisions about design. In today times. In today times. Yeah. I mean, like, that's why I kind of want to, I'm like, I want to work for a city because I'm like, they decide so much stuff. Like the people who are in charge of projects. It's like. Yeah. And we have, they have the most been generic awful taste like literally they refuse to use like red or pink or anything that has any kind of sense of color because it's that's too scary of a color for a city blue and green baby yeah that's all it's like that's literally it yeah so there's a mural program within the wpa and muralists are often tasked with making site-specific art that makes sense um, a lot of some of them study under Mexican muralists. They're like very inspired by Diego Rivera. I would say the one, the one that's well known. I mean, Diego Rivera. But he like was training people literally. Like, well, yeah, he was a communist, uh-huh. and he was like very pro making these political commentary murals. Right, and a lot of them they also saw themselves as like communicating with the public through their work, and um, I don't know, they're like really inspired by him, basically. And there are these themes of like... I wonder if they were doing political commentaries. I'll get into that. Oh, okay. Sorry. Keep on ruining it. <laughs> well, it, no, it's great. You're curious. And I'm going to I'm gonna satisfy all of your curiosity. I mean, that's like what he did. Like, I think mm. Chase Bank hired him, if that was a thing back then, mm. to do a mural. And he did one, like, criticizing Chase Bank, obviously. And, like, Chase Bank was like, no, we're not going to... We don't like it. I'm pretty sure that was what it was. It was something very, like... Not what they envisioned, even though they hired him. So it's like hard for me to imagine Chase Bank existing back then. Maybe they changed it. It was a bank, but whatever. It was a bank. But just side note, this chick I went to high school with started a condom company that was like for women. It was like it was in like a cute kind of like lip gloss looking container. And like it was for, so that like girls carry condoms or whatever. Um, and Chase Bank wouldn't let her bank with them, like wouldn't let the company bank with them. Why? Condoms. Are they Christian? Yeah, isn't that weird? It's like, it's like, and when I say Christians, Christians even believe in condoms. Yeah. I mean, like the weird Christian. It's like sometimes you just remind, get reminded by how like absolutely wacko bananas the world is. That reminds me, I need to probably change banks. I'm proud of BECU, which is a credit union, and I'm pro credit credit unions, but this is, stands for Boeing Employees Credit uh-huh. Union. Yeah. So yeah, I gotta change that. Yeah, I think. I don't know. I need to do more research. It's really hard. It really is. I'm just, I'm like, we just can't buy anything. Um, Not unless it's secondhand because someone else did the job for you. Yeah, exactly. They took the hit. They <laughs> they like are the bad person and you're just an angel who's buying <laughs> Ghani yesterday. Yeah. That was me. I'm like, yeah, I'll, the one thing I'm going to let myself buy for Black Friday is like a secondhand Ghani mesh top. It's going to be great for layering, <laughs> turtleneck. Um, 
I love Ghani. Yeah. I think yeah. they're affordable and it's probably because they do some fucked up shit. I don't want to know. Um, so artists are making murals. They view themselves as like communicating with the public through their murals. There are themes of like, it's, you know, some of the themes are like very American. It's like hard work, productivity, abundance. And there's also this theme of like a hope for a new world free of poverty and unemployment and hunger. But oopsie, the artists got a little too leftist. It's like America, FDR, New Deal, all these people were like, hire all these artists, let them paint. It's going to be like American pride. We're going to garner all of this, you know, nationalist pride and enthusiasm. But they got a little leftist for some people's comfort. Um, there were some muralists who did a painting for Coit Tower in San Francisco. And they were criticized because in the painting, there's like a newspaper stand. And one of the papers that's on the newspaper stand is the Daily Worker. And then there's this guy like reaching for a book on a bookshelf. And what's the book? Karl Marx. I wish it was still like that. I wish people did. I mean, I feel like Karl Marx is exclusively for like white dudes. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Right. And I mean, this isn't showcasing anything else different, I'm assuming. But I just feel like it was still in the rhetoric of everyday a common person. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like. That like Karl Marx was like a household name. Yeah, I feel like Karl Marx was for the popper of the time. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like it's more for academic um, yeah. prestige. Yeah, totally. It's, yeah, there's like an elitism associated with like studying people like Karl Marx. Uh, speaking of that, I didn't get accepted as socialist alternative, um, famously. <laughs> yeah, for those who, those of you who haven't, listen to all of our previous podcast fascisms episodes we should yeah include that narrative within here too yeah i spent like five weeks every week having to read something that they made me read and they told me it wasn't an interview but continued to do a weekly interview of me and then eventually telling me that i was not accepted into the group mind you it's probably for the best i mean they got the vibes that i was probably not the best fit for a reason but the best fit is like some white dude that wears plaid and that's what's infuriating about Socialist Alternative. And we have, there was one elected now. She's sat down. She's not white and she's not a man. So I'm like, okay, cool. She's like the only one that the I've Shama, seen. Shama, you mean? Yeah, Shama is like the only person of color and a woman that's like in Socialist Alternatives, I swear. Um, and I'm glad she is. But I'm very, and so anyways, today at the rally I was at, at, some guy was talking and he was talking about the city council meeting of, how basically a bunch of people and Sawant was the only one that showed up at the city council to ask for ceasefire. All the other guys, all the other city council were in their office, like only like two floors up, but like on the computer, too scared to come down. All Democrats, by the way. Um, and Sawant and like 200 people in person and 200 people like online held it down for two and a half hours until they fucking voted ceasefire. Um, so again, power of people is a very important, but the guy was talking about it and I was like, this guy's social self turned up. He's not only white, he's well-spoken and, uh, I, yeah, I'm not s smart enough or to be up there speaking. I will say that, but I just was like, he was like, even if you're not a socialist, come over to our table. I was like, fuck you. No, no, you have an exclusive, like you don't have to be a socialist, but you do have to like actively read and agree with everything that we're saying which i get the whole thing but I, I think the reading part really i was like who can do who has the time and energy to like meet up with you and like have these readings and also like 
I, it, it, there's a lot of problems to how they initiate people into it and, yeah. I, and it really causes a barrier anyways you can sell, tell I'm very salty about it I mean I which was, makes sense yeah I was this close to being like, and I, the way that I was like he's socialist alternative and then him saying it right after I thought that um, and then I went I, he was like come to, by the table and I really wanted to be like go up to the table and be like oh you remember me probably not because you never let me go in like into your group you so just like don't want someone who is also fighting for like workers rights and like liberation in your group because they like didn't do a good enough book report for you exactly i was like i'm sorry there's so many people that are like as activists as me and also was doesn't sound like the way you want them to i was like not only have i unionized my job <laughs> i'm showing up to a lot of like i'm participating in a lot of these things can any of the people that you've accepted actually say any like any of that yeah. are they just reading it like there i have a portfolio and I don't feel like ever of, of activism like anyways wow <clears throat> it's fucked it's fucked um, where, where did we start from where, where were we talking about the the muralists in Coit Tower they, they, oh, their Karl mural, Marx they yeah were criticized they were criticized for including these motifs in their painting one mural was burned which first of all I don't know how you burn a mural sounds like you lit the wall on fire but they said one mural was burned because someone in the painting looked similar to Joseph Stalin probably was yeah uh, we, we don't we actually don't know if we like him i get confused lennon and stalin lennon and stalin yeah i think you like lennon because i think john lennon lennon everybody says they're leninist or something yeah. and i'm like oh so that's the, uh, lennon was before stalin is what i i guess i could be wrong yeah again the readings didn't go into that history so <laughs> yeah um look i have a biology undergrad <laughs> degree so i'm kind of stunted well you just got to try out for socialist alternative and you'll Probably not read about that, honestly. Who knows? Yeah. Um, at one point, someone said that we on the project have been forced to sign an affidavit to the effect that we belong to neither the communist or Nazi parties, a wholly illegal procedure. And now I understand that the army is snooping around the project, finding out how the artists could fit into the defense program, as in like World War II. So there's like some political, maybe seeds of some issues happening, I guess. Um, the Republicans... At this time, like, the Republicans were divided. There were, like, progressive Republicans and then, like, the really stinky, horrible Republicans. Um, and the stinky ones, they weren't into the WPA. They would call the, the artists boondogglers or something. And, and they kind of just, like, made fun of them and thought the program was stupid. They thought people were just, like, using the government's money. It's, like, the same shit as today, basically. The difficulties the project had with Congress and the press were simply the difficulties Franklin Roosevelt had with the New Deal. The Republican papers were hostile. Uh, Republican congressmen were hostile. Of course, the government, except for people like Roosevelt and the real liberals, were all against the projects. They did nothing but insult it. They said the artists were just boondoggling. And like more and more, people start like hallucinating and seeing hammers and sickles in like all of these paintings. I wonder if that was real though, because there's a phenomenon in, in urban design where you end up making swastikas at one point or another while you're doing graphic design like i thought it was vaginas remember when we would always well the the joke is like it, it literally you have to like keep an eye on making sure that you're not making a swastika at some point because it it just kind of naturally happens if you keep making designs yeah intersections junctures yeah vaginas yeah sure but like i think more like graphic design for logos and stuff is just uh-huh yeah yeah it's like a thing that professors are like that's a swastika don't, don't worry draw this yeah yeah so the 
people are getting lefty and you know part of the thing of the WPA was that they wanted the artists to see themselves as to have like pride and see themselves as workers and they saw themselves as workers yeah laborers and they started a union yeah um so good for them this is also hey good for them hey good job guys (laughs) and again well FDR created laws that protected labor organizers yeah like you you create laws protecting labor organizers you give a bunch of artists full-time jobs and allow them to hang out with each other like actually not be competing but like socializing and collaborating yeah there was a lot of they had a lot of pride they had a lot of passion and they also were getting laid off like the kind of the funding of the program would like ebb and flow it was like hard to keep people employed all the time or like Mm. if they didn't have a project for them at the time whatever people would get pink slips and um, people were getting hired, fired, hire, fired. And so they unionized and they, people were taking to the streets. I was hired five different times on a project. And each time I got a pink slip. We like when these things would come up about like, oh, there's a hammer and sickle in your paintings. Then they had union reps who would step in and like help them in these situations. And oh, I know all about that. Yeah wine garden rule and i don't think i'm saying that correctly but that's the way that i have memorized that's it. the rule that means like you have a tap to have a like representation with you or something to have like an hr meeting you have to have a rep with you in the same room it just sounds like having like a big sibling there with you it just seems like very helpful it is very helpful i like i can't imagine i wasn't even unionized right yet and i got in trouble and he like the my, my union person came in and like basically was my lawyer and fought across the other lawyer and they fought about like my contract of what and it you're just said. like sitting there like watching them do I it. I wasn't allowed to say a damn word. You weren't allowed? Mm-mm. He said it's the best if you don't talk. Yeah. And that uh, makes sense. It's like, yeah, I can't imagine making that situation better if I if it was me. I was so pissed. Yeah, I would have been I was like already it's just giving the stink eye. Um but it wasn't even like a contract. It was like a uh what they call it personality improvement plan oh my that's what God. it's literally called oh my wait not a performance maybe it was performance yeah pip a performance improvement plan but you it was, it, it was attacking it very, my personality it very, yeah right yeah i was thinking you're like really you just want me to be a different person they were literally like you need to smile when people say hello like that was in the contract i have like no i was words. like do you not know the I history no of women words. like god yeah so the artist union produces a magazine called art front and it kind of attacked that regionalist style that I was talking about, the like yay America landscapes, blah, blah, blah style. Um, there was this guy called Benton who um, was like, he was an artist and he taught people and he was a regionalist artist. And pe- the magazine said, Benton's belligerent nationalism was only one step removed from fascism. Benton taught Jackson Pollock. We know Jackson, right? Everybody knows Jackson Pollock, Jackson right? Pollock, yeah. The guy that did movement. Okay, he would say he'd do movement, but he really just like, you know, which he watered. Yeah. Splattered. Yeah, we're not done with him. He's coming up really soon. Benton, the artist, actually like moved with his wife to Kansas. He was like, felt like so rejected by the magazine, the regionalist guy. He was like, the magazine said something mean to me. I'm going to Kansas. Um, and what did you do in Kansas? Did you follow up? Did you call no, him? he probably just did more. He became art, an like, influencer? Like landscape art. Yeah. He was like, yeah, became like a homesteader. <laughs> Back to the earth. Started listening to Joe Rogan. Yeah. I don't know. Um, okay, so... The next artist I'm going to focus on is called Lee Krasner. Do you know her? Yeah, the one that took pictures? No. Nope. Don't know her. You're thinking about Lee Miller? No, I was thinking the I I thought that it was the 1930s photographer that took like pictures. Like Dorothy Lang. There's a lot of, yeah, there's 
Um, a Dorothy lot of, Lang, then that's the person I'm thinking of. Um, Lee Krasner was a painter as well, like our Jacob Lawrence. And she was one of the artists in the New Deal, in the WPA, who's very involved with the union. She was on a bunch of committees, like someone I know. Me? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I forgot. Yeah. And she got arrested many times. I was extremely active in the artists' union. Very active on all the uh, committees, chairing meetings, on the steering committees, and for, you know. Very active, arrested many times, picketed and arrested many times. I was in practically every jail in New York City. Just a reminder, if you're not getting arrested, you're doing something wrong, I'm guilty. Yeah, uh, I've been arrested for drunkenness. Same, so which is like not... Not cool. Not cool. Um, it's not the thing you want to get arrested for. Yeah. Um, she's like very into the union. She's against fascism. Some of the communist stuff she's not sure about, like... She was like, we were all sympathetic to the Russian Revolution. Then came complications like Stalinism being the betrayal of the revolution. And so her biographer says this is why Lee and many others turned to abstraction is because painting political stuff was dangerous at this time. I went to a, into a deep Lee Krasner hole. This was like during the depths of my illness when I didn't leave the couch for two days. By I, the way, like your uh, hope was very sick. I had RSV. I held a baby. Um, and that's what you fucking get. That's what I get. It was worth it. <laughs> Caroline, if you're listening, I love your child. And I, I I, held him even seeing the snot coming out of his nose. Do you, that reminds me of that little woman clip. Well, you didn't die, thank God. But where they, <laughs> uh, where Mary, I think is her name. Is it Mary? There's like four of them. Like, likelihood is that the one, one of them The one that played was... piano. And everybody, like, she was a sweet one. Okay. She went to go feed a poor family. And one of the ch children had, I don't know, one of the diseases that they had back mm, then. Mm-hmm. And then she got it from the child. Mm, yeah. And I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't helping. Uh, I just like, I like st slept until 10 in her shed and she was like, w in the shed. Was it like air conditioned or something? Well, it's, it is like temperature controlled. Yeah. They like, it's like her office slash guest room. Um, really nice. Like, yeah, I was going to say, it's not a shed. It's something else. Uh, a shed to me, it means no utilities. Gotcha. Yeah. No, it has electricity and yada, yada. And like without a dog, to wake me up and with no responsibilities like I slept in so late and like what a slap in the face to two parents of a 10 month old I was like <gasps> <laughs> to me I'm like well what do you expect because yeah you weren't the parent but also yeah you can't you come over as a, a guest and yeah become a second baby I just feel like I'm always always surprising alarming or annoying to people when I'm on vacation and they I just like sleep <laughs> I don't find it annoying. I think that's exactly how we should be. Yeah. It's nice when you travel with people who like also need a nap every day. I mean, actively, I'm a lazy person. And I think napping and not, I don't go too hard. I try to chill in general on vacation. Mm -hmm. Waking up early to do something is not what I'm trying to do on vacation. Mm -hmm. Period. Yeah. Yeah, so while I was in the depths of this illness, I went into like a deep Lee Krasner hole. I watched two lectures by this art historian, Gail Levin, who was the biographer of, of Lee Krasner. And I watched the movie Pollock because, spoiler alert, she was married to Jackson Pollock. And the reason actually that Gail Levin wrote the biography about Lee Krasner is because of how unfair the, bio say, the biography of Jackson Pollock was. I was to say, I was like, I already feel bad for her. Yeah. Whatever that was. Yeah. And so what Gail Levin said was that the biographer who did Jackson Pollock's biography D probably doesn't mention her at all. 
She does, but she paints her in a really bad bad light. The bi- or I don't actually know if the biographer is what their gender is, but um, and they also there's the sources that they use. One of the main sources was a fiction book, and it's like you wouldn't know that unless you looked in the footnotes. So Gail Levin like did this whole biography where she was using primary sources. Okay. She like knew Lee Krasner. She like interviewed a ton of her family members and friends, and like this fucking Pollock biographer is just like using a fiction novel to like write this book. I just want to. We probably already know this, but Jackson Pollock was an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm going to get into a little bit. But so Lee was born Ukrainian Jewish. Uh, at the time, it was Russia. And she was the only one of her family to be born in the U.S. And I want to point out that many WP artists were from immigrant families or were immigrants themselves, though you could get dismissed from the program if they found out you weren't an American citizen. Um, Interesting, because that's all American people are. Like at that time. Not from America. Yeah. No yeah. one was. Right. And it's like at the at the same time that it was allowing poor people to become artists, it was also like, you know, not. And so like a ton of Jewish people were in this program. It's like a ton of like people from immigrant families. Mm-hmm. And like that really was like how they became artists. But yeah, the ones like like Rothko got let go because he wasn't an American citizen. But Lee Krasner knew she wanted to start study art early on. She applied to a high school that had an art major and then she got a portfolio together to qualify for Cooper Union, which was at the time like an all girls free art school that was almost all Jewish, but like sponsored by waspy white ladies. Sounds about right. Um, And it was aimed at getting women into interior design, gardening, illustration, not the fine arts. But Lee was like hell bent on the fine arts. Um, But I mean, yeah, I would I would think. Women weren't asked to do a lot besides embroidery. That was the whole thing. Yeah. And fine arts was for men. Yeah. But she really wanted to do fine arts. And so she gets into the National Academy of Good Design. Yeah. She does a National self- Academy of Design in the U.S.? Yeah. Where is that now? New York. Is that still a thing? I think so. I feel like it might be like something else now. It's an honorary association of American artists. Yeah. I think it probably like functions differently now. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, she got to go to school for free is all I'm hearing. Yeah. And so <laughs> to get into it, you have to do a self-portrait. And she Ugh, does. Yes. Yeah. And so she does her self-portrait outside. Um, she like hangs a mirror Van Gogh style uh-huh. and is painting herself while looking at the mirror. And um, they were like, you get you are accepted in the program, but we think you cheated because there's what? no way you could actually do this outside. It's too hard with the lighting. Like we think you faked it. And so what if she was? I'm not saying she was, but so what if she was? It's just like weird and like petty to be like, we think you cheated, but fine. We'll let you in. You can't do it with the lighting. I was like, what What did they have back then? Like fucking, I don't know, candlelight? Like what did they want? Yeah, I don't understand. Like I guess. If no one had detailed lighting in the, like barely housing had running water at the 40s. Yeah, I think whatever. Something about like being outside makes it hard to paint a portrait. I would not know. I mean, a lot of women weren't allowed to do landscape painting, so I don't know what her background was. I mean, it it was whatever they taught her at Cooper Union. Like, was it a landscape? I mean, I think women were allowed to do landscape. That was it. <laughs> Sorry. Oh yeah, um, that seemed, does seem like the safest. They're like paint a mountain. Yeah, yeah. Don't have a thoughts or opinions. Uh, interesting. Also, I'm like, how else are you supposed to do a self portrait besides look in a mirror or a picture? They didn't have. Well, pictures. it was that she did it outside. That's the thing. But everybody, yeah. you said Van Gogh style. Van Gogh style was, oh, yeah, with the mirror. Yeah, so I don't know. I thought everybody did that. I guess you could do it from a photo. Back then? Yeah, who has photos of themselves? Yeah. Rich people is what I said. Rich people. Um, 
Anyways, just kind of curious if there was another way to do it. I guess people could just paint from what they think they look like. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that could be a hey, self-portrait. Hey, mom, what's my nose look like? <laughs> yeah. yeah, somebody's describing it to you. You're like, okay. It's like a criminal, like, description, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think she was allowed to paint landscapes. One thing that she wasn't allowed to do was go to the basement at the school. So this school, the New York Academy of Design, wasn't all girls, but girls weren't allowed in the basement because they thought if girls went in the basement, the boys would have sex with them. I mean, a basement's a scary place. Yeah. But, but that is a weird detail that's like... And honestly, they probably would have backed that. I mean, there was a lot of rape happening. Yeah. Casual stuff. Casual rape? Yep, I would say so. Yeah. Um, Just, yeah, they did panty raids. Like, it was no big deal. Panty raids? My grandpa literally told me about this. I don't want to know. It's, what do you think it is? Pulling someone's pants down? No, you just go into ladies' rooms and steal their panties. And a bunch oh. of dudes that guys would do that at once. Oh, my God. Uh, my sister did that once to me when I was little. She hid all my underwear for like two months. That's different. Uh, I know it's different, but <laughs> it is an experience I had. And like one day I found them in this like box. Younger or older? Like, older. Oh, that's funny. That seems like a younger thing to do. But I guess older, is, older people, older ones are the one that pick on you. So they actually are not the ones that are scared. Yeah. I'm just so confused. Like, did my mom not know? I just remember there being a long period of time when my underwear supply was like sadly low. <laughs> <laughs> and did you say nothing or you just like this is remember. my reality i don't remember that's funny um but okay so they weren't allowed in the basement but it, there was an assignment where they had to paint a fish it was like us when we had to paint a garlic except for it was like a fish and they <laughs> needed to paint it they like needed the basement because it was colder down there uh-huh. so the fish wouldn't like rot you know before they could paint it so interesting so her and her friend because no one had a refrigerator back then yeah so her and her friend like brought the fish into the basement anyway because they were being rebels and they got suspended Ooh! and so her friend who gail levin interviews was like i never did anything like that it was kind of like lee was so like mischievous or like like lee like got her into trouble kind of a thing she was like strong-willed like or she really had a sense of like this isn't fair mm-hmm. um she was raised Orthodox Jewish. And so like at this time, she's kind of like challenging her faith, challenging these ideals that she's grown up with, bringing fish into basements. Wild, crazy, yeah, crazy behavior. Crazy behavior. She's going out to get jazz clubs. Sounds like my kind of girl. Yeah. Um, Too bad she got married to a douchebag. Yeah. Um, but what else are you going to do? Yeah. She does love men. She loves men. That's the that's that always is like the thing about these older time women. That are like badass. They end well, up- not always. Hilma. Yeah, she was very gay. Um, Good point. But she did love some men. Yeah, fair. So before she meets Jackson, you know, long before she meets this guy named Igor. It's another artist. And he's like the best male artist at the school, apparently. But we never hear about him. Yeah. Uh, he's like really into painting like hot women. Like he does like nudes, but it's like with like huge gazungas. It's like. He's re- he's like a womanizer. He's also like super hot. So she's dating like a really hot, popular, good artist at the school. And they date for 10 years, but they don't get married because his parents refuse to meet her because he's from Russia, but not Jewish. And she's Jewish. And so they're like, his- the parents won't meet her. When I looked up his art, actually, it looked, I like felt like I was looking at an Instagram filter because he just like paints like women with these really particular faces. Um, yeah, so he... He's like really into really beautiful women and um, Lee Krasner, her her biographer describes her as like a butterface kind of 
it was just like super rude uh she was you know i think like she was trying to be like even though she wasn't the most beautiful woman in the world she had she basically was like she had a good figure and she had like a magnetism that's all you need do you have good skin and honestly it's like back then and probably and still now it's like skinny is considered the most beautiful thing and that's like overtakes anything else yeah i mean she was a scorpio so (laughs) she also was just like you had like this this energy and then there's this jelly nelly named s fire slob slobakina who made a painting called lee krasner astride a fighting cock Hmm. okay which like was basically like i'm jealous that you are dating like the hottie guy at school here's this painting it like looks a little bit like someone drew it on their placemat at Chili's. Yeah, it definitely does. I love it though. Yeah. And they remained friends. It seemed like there were no hard feelings, whatever. Whatever. She loved having some guy draw that. Was it a dude? No, it was an, uh, like a girl who was uh, jealous of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, that's like what the biographer says anyway. Um, again, the mo- she was jealous. She was jealous. She was just jealous of my best friend Lee. Um, and the cock was actually a rooster. That was the joke. A stratified, yeah. Yeah, we'll put it up. Um, again, the MoMA opens. Modern art is the thing right now. Some people are like, don't learn from Picasso. He doesn't know how to paint. But at the same time, many of them are inspired by Guernica. A lot of them start painting in black and white because of it. Um, Lee Krasner's... Okay, thank you. I see all these fucking Guernica paintings that are painted and color and that is mm. not the accurate portrayal of mm. Guernica he did it in sepia tones because mm. it was supposed to represent the newspaper article that he read that kind of shifted his perspective on war you're saying people do reproductions of Guernica yeah and they sometimes do like neon colors and I'm like I think people have the mis- the wrong interpretation of what like because there's meaning in the uh the sepia tones but they have I've seen some ones that are the Guernica but like with Palestinian colors like the red white and green and and red which i i mean like i get those kind of themes but like some of them i've literally seen like etsy portrayals like posters of them colored and i'm like that's not that's like fucked up yeah yeah and it was such it was an intentional choice to the point where like people saw it and they were like oh wow a painting in black and white like that was a an inspiring thing to people she's also very inspired by by matisse um she experiments with surrealism like she's properly learning about modern art she like really knows a lot of shit at one point in the documentary, Lee talks about how the WPA didn't discriminate against women, but she talks about how, how during the war, surrealists had come over, and she said for them, women were dolls, mannequins, objects. As we know. And their ideas, like, spread to the abstractionists a bit. She also said the surrealists like to dress their wives. She said that they would, like... Very ch- Kanye of them. I know, I know. And they would, like, choose their clothes, their makeup styles, their hairstyles. I mean, I personally would hate that, like... I do hate being told what to wear by a man at any cost. But if they had good taste. Yeah. But it's like they were viewing their partners as their little mannequins. Like so much of surrealism was like the mannequins. It's just like the mannequins. Yeah. The the documentary that I recently watched about Picasso's like beach vacation before like World War II officially started or something. Talked about the women and the most like, you know, she was beautiful and like. I love taking photos of her and painting her. And I'm just like, yeah, they were, there's nothing else. Yeah. Um, Lee gets a position with the WPA as as a mural assistant. She's very involved with the union. When Kooning was removed from the WPA because he wasn't a natural born U S citizen, Krasner was asked to take over his project. De Kooning gave her a life-size sketch and would unofficially visit the studio to monitor 
her progress. Um, and this opportunity allowed Krasner to integrate her own ideas into de Kooning's design and take on a more leadership role. Furthermore, while working on the project, Krasner befriended many artists and critics and not only learned a great deal from her fellow artists and art critics regarding art and politics, but she would use them as contacts to introduce the New York art world to her future husband, Jackson Pollock. She says that the WPA kept her alive. Like she said it helped her art in that it kept her alive, which allowed her to paint. Like she didn't have money. She like wouldn't have gotten through. She felt like she wouldn't have gotten through to the depression without this program and when it ends her and Igor get kicked out of the WPA like because everyone does um he leaves in the middle of the night to go to Florida where his parents live just like doesn't tell her after 10 years wait are they dating Igor yeah the hot the hot like whatever what did she expect she saw how he drew women (laughs) yeah and then he just like gets to Florida and he sends her this like cartoon being like bye I don't know oh Um, what a dick Igor just kind of like ran to mommy and daddy. Like he was like, yeah, but where was mommy and daddy? Like I just, I got fired. Honestly, I get it. Yeah. Um, but it's still weird that he just, yeah. Didn't even say a proper goodbye. No, he didn't say a proper goodbye, but she's just like, she just keeps on keeping on, keeping on. She joins the American abstract artists. She keeps painting. He actually like comes back to New York. Of course he does and tries to get her back. But by that time she's already dating Jackson Pollock. Um, Good for her. Yeah. She sounds like a indie girl and one of those indie popular indie girls where they're like not the hottest person, but they were very like, I'm an artist. And I, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. She's so I watched Pollock, which is a film made in the year 2000 starring Ed Harris and Marsha Gay Harden, who she won an Oscar for her portrayal of Lee. But overall, I wasn't very impressed with the movie, the way it shows them meeting which I'm not saying that this is inaccurate, but I'm just describing how they meet in the movie, which is that she kind of like shows up and she's like, I just wanted to meet you because like she knows everyone. She's like very well connected. She knows everyone. She's like, I know all the abstract artists. Like, why don't I know you? And then they kind of start dating and like the movie shows zero chemistry between them. And maybe that's how it was in real life. Like literally she was like, you're such a good artist. Like, I love you because you're such a good artist. And she like really believed in him. This is my problem. Don't do that. Yeah. Take them down at any possible, like, just don't give them compliments. Well, she does more than give them compliments. She like, gives them a blowjob, I'm sure. Well, and she, like, builds his career. Like, <sighs> all of those critics and... This is the... That comes back to quote that my mentor, like, don't marry an, another artist. Yeah. And the thing was, maybe this was true. Lee, like, she felt like he had so much more to gain from his art than she did. And I don't believe like I, you know, maybe because she thought he was so talented. Maybe because she thought that male artists just like had so much more going for them in like society, and so she really like put all of herself into getting him meetings with Peggy Guggenheim and like this is just a classic tell of it's just a tells all the time like women completely supporting like I don't know as as much as like she believed in him as much as like she knew her role. Right. Like he wasn't going to support her. Right. And it was like, not only was it like trying to get him exposure and meetings with people, it was like he was always drunk off his ass. So it was also like dragging him to the meetings, like getting him up. Like he was super, he was like a, like a really serious alcoholic. I'm sure. And the movie, another thing the movie didn't do at all was give context to why. And it's like, whatever, like 
we all can assume alcoholic dad cycle of abuse yada yada but it like it gives no context it mostly just shows her like promoting his art him like having trouble painting and then one day he he's like yeah figures out the dribble drabble thing and like he gets big but like he's super drunk and he dies because he is an alcoholic he yeah drives a car into a tree while with the woman that he was cheating on lee with i do remember that now yeah um and yeah so the movie doesn't focus on her art and she was painting during this time they were married for 11 years and apparently pollock had like a crazy cult therapist so i like do want to read the biography crazy cult therapist Mm mm-hmm like into spiritism what was their cult i don't know Mm, i don't know i should have gone into it but i'd already done so much research and i was like yeah i also didn't want to focus too much on jackson pollock amen but like the in the movie pollock they show a lot like her like really working through his art with them like they really influenced each other a ton like they were coming at it from different backgrounds like they had different art backgrounds um so he dies she keeps painting but she also destroys a lot of her work not because he dies but because that's like kind of her method like she throughout her life experiments with a lot of different styles and then she'll kind of like look back and be like, I hate it. I uh, mean, I get that. Yeah. I totally get that. I mean, most of my shit I hate now. Do you uh, destroy it? Sometimes. Sometimes I just throw it out. That's like a way of destroying things. Ugh, I but I also take pictures of it, but then I don't do anything with it. Mm. Which, I mean, if you learn anything from Hilma, just keep it around. Mm. And package it up so you don't have to look right, at it. Right, right. Give it to a loved one and tell them, open yeah. it in 20 years. After I'm dead. So you don't even, you forget yeah right um but she one thing she does is she'll like do collages of her old work and his like discards um so her changeable nature are scorpio scorpios a, a mutable or changeable sign i don't remember i mean I they're they water might be mutable okay so um like i'm a cardinal sign right aries is a cardinal sign Virgo's mutable mm-hmm. i think uh sagittarius i think scorpio is mutable i think it is whatever too. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to be an astrologer, but her she has a changeable nature. Uh, this is from Wikipedia, if I'm being honest, which is reflected throughout her work and which has led critics and scholars to have different conclusions about her and her oeuvre. Her style often alternates between classic structure and Baroque action, open form and hard edge shape, bright color and monochrome palette. Throughout her career, she refused to adopt a singular recognizable style and instead embraced change through varying the mood, subject matter, texture, materials, and compositions of her work often. By changing her work style often, she differed from other abstract expressionists since many of them adopted unchanging identities and modes of depiction. Despite these intense variations, her work can typically be recognized through their gestural style, texture, rhythm, and depiction of organic imagery. Her interest in the self, nature, and modern life are themes which commonly surface in her works. She was often reluctant to discuss the iconography of her work and instead emphasized the importance of her biography since she claimed her art was formed through her individual personality and her emotional state. So, people, What was her emotional state? Yeah, I don't know. Hysteria? Classic woman? Like, she wasn't even, though. She was very strong. Like, she was the stable person. Like, she was stable for Jackson. Even Igor became an alcoholic later in life and she supported him. Like they didn't get back together, but she like, I'm, I'm mad at her for that too. Don't do that. Yeah. Okay. Just take one thing is don't support a man period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do it's, your own thing. Yeah. And so, like in the documentary, she comes off like so strong and like matter of fact and like yada, yada, her teeth are really fucked up from smoking. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's just unrelated like, yeah. and from being poor, I guess, but uh, also just the time period right but yeah she was like really showing up for men way more than she needed to 
oh, by the way, I went to the dentist and like picked off all my tartar. Is that what it's called? Tartar. And I could, <laughs> yeah, I could feel them like it coming off. I mean, I guess I just haven't. They're like, it's really calcified. Yeah. And I was like, damn yeah I when I had not gone for a couple years yeah, it was like was a it. really tough appointment and then the next few after that they kept being like every appointment it, they, their compliments would get higher and higher and I was like literally you're just complimenting yourself yeah you're doing the work for like how much yeah you scrape my teeth off they but. did ask the, the classic how often do you floss and I was like you know the answer to that just looking at my mouth like, <laughs> yeah yeah right like you see you see the situation um yeah so she did this series called Lim little image in 1949 she went through a critical phase destroyed a lot of the work there's evidence that she began experimenting with automatic painting which is like surrealism yada yada between the summer and fall she again shifted her style to color field painting and she had a solo exhibition what in 1945 i'll show you her stuff good for her for finally having a solo exhibit yeah here's some of her stuff I really oh, it definitely looks like Jackson Pollock shit, but yeah. honestly better. Yeah. Like I like some of the stuff that starts to look a little bit like botanical. How would you describe it? It looks like a vase, an abstract vase with flowers in it. Yeah. Very abstract. Um, oh, yeah. this is the one. And it also is giving Matisse uh, colors. Yeah. So, yeah, she's experimenting with all these different styles. She's like very much an abstract expressionist. So then World War Two happens and... Funding for art is no longer a priority and WPA artists lose their funding and a lot of paintings are getting destroyed. In Europe or is it in America? In America. Interesting because we were saving stuff in Europe. Right. Um, but like they're selling canvases like to the highest bidder. Like literally someone buys a truck full of oh, yeah, thousands that. and thousands of paintings and they use them to wrap pipes like it's like literally they're buying it for the canvas material they have no idea like the value of of this art they sold them as oiled canvas to wrap pipe with for about three cents a pound and one of the ones that they had sold us that i got back and within a few years i sold it for 1500 it was a wonderful snow scene down 42nd street in new york city but it had also it had all kinds of aesthetic value, you know. They didn't know. They didn't care. They would now. I swear, no one's buying paintings like that. Because, again, people don't know shit about art There's then. A, a huge economy now that's problematic. Right. We've, like, gone, we swung the other. Yeah. We've, like, valued it way too high. There's, like, sculptures being shredded and, like, thrown in a swamp. I don't know. Again, I was on a lot of cold medicine when I wrote this, but that happened, I think. Yeah, I'm sure it did. People were like, just throw it in the swamp. Yeah, right. And they were also, like, filling all of the wetlands at the time. Yeah. So it was like a one. It was like a two birds, one stone. Yeah, they were like, why not? I mean, like, they just, yeah, it was trash. It was trash. And since then, many New Deal murals have been painted over or just not taken care of. The Arshel Gorky mural at Newark was painted over basically because of McCarthyism. In 1952, after being on the wall for just a decade, a mural by James Brooks was painted over because officials at the Port Authority thought the imagery looked like too socialist. In what way did they decide how that looked too socialist? Um, I, it's like literally a it's a mural about flight. Like I think they it's okay. So in particular, these self-appointed art critics took exception to the mural's suggestion. 
they they were offended by the mural's suggestion that air travel would be available one day for ordinary people and not just the military and the rich. Man, were they right though? <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> South. Wait till they hear about Southwest. It's gonna blow their minds. <laughs> yeah, you can as a poor person, but you will be on the last, and they will just throw peanuts at you. You might not be able to bring your bag onto the plane. But they will let you fly. It will be bumpy and the flight attendant is mad that you are poor. Yeah. Yeah. Your seat is smaller and you don't necessarily have a TV. And you can't smoke cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. But flight did very much become democratized. But yeah, it's like McCarthyism sweeping the nation. And so the New Deal was really associated with was like an emblem of communism. And so as things shifted, I mean... I'm just thinking of like how the Democratic Party is now and how like if you're pro-Palestine, it's like another McCarthy era, like where they're just like calling, you know, anybody that's pro-Palestinian as like anti-Semitic. But it's like instead of being calling communists. Right. We're like, yeah, putting water watermelon emojis on our uh, Instagram posts, just like the hammers and sickles and the murals in the airport. (laughs) Uh, But like the New Deal could have been this turning point. Like it was this time when. The U.S. was investing a ton in infrastructure and in people. And like it really could have been a turning point for like a more socialist America. And it's just like such a good example of how wars shift things so dramatically and so quickly. Yeah. What? So like what did that what did the New Deal leave us with in terms of art? Um, Many artists go right back to being poor. Like, you know, they get they lose their jobs as full time artists. And it's not like they were getting paid enough to like really build like wealth or anything but they were able to spend time developing as artists and like as you watch this documentary which I do recommend you watch like they're kind of like reminiscing about how it was this time when they like could just make art and not worry they were getting paid a living-ish wage and they like had time to develop their skills and their crafts and it like really brought us a lot of the artists we prize today, like Jackson Pollock, photographer Dorothy Lang, Marth Rothko, of course, Lee Krasner and Jacob Lawrence. And it brought us abstract expressionism. It was kind of like the first modern art movement to come out of America. America wasn't especially known for art and especially not modern art. So this is a big deal. And then this combined with the fact that MoMA is created in 1929 and that so many artists, like you were saying, leave Europe in World War II, like it contributes to the art scene that flourished in New York after that it like all kind of culminates and to this day the WPA was the U.S.'s biggest investment into arts ever and like since then we've had programs like the one percent for the arts where states and other jurisdictions reserve money from capital improvement pro- projects for art but nothing that like funded arts and artists edu- like that funded as ed- arts education and artists the way that the New Deal did so because it was socialism yeah So basically, that could have been America. But overall, the project employed more than 5,000 artists at its peak in 1936 and probably double that over its eight years of existence. It produced 2,566 murals, more than 100,000 easel paintings, about 1,770 sculptures, and nearly 300,000 fine prints, and about 22,000 plates for the American Index of de- the Index of American Design. There was like an index of like objects that people kind of like reproduced and and kept like made into an archive. The total federal investment was. Do you want to? What's that game show? 
Price is Right? Yeah. Do you want to guess how much well, the total uh, federal investment was? I know it's hard because it was in the third. Yeah, I was going to say like a billion was like one million at the same time, you know, like I'm guessing $700 million. $35 million. See, that was equivalent to $700 million, though. It's like, honestly, it's like magnitude wise, not that far off. Well, yeah. In and to guess. think we just spent, we put away $33 billion to for weapons. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just the numbers are different. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So in conclusion, it could be cool if we spent money on art. I don't know. It'd be it, really I, cool if we did that. Yeah. Crazy idea. Yeah. And we did it once. Yeah. And it was really cool. Yeah. And you should go searching for New Deal art in whatever city you live in. Look up Jacob Lawrence's work, Lee Krasner, yada, yada. Yeah. Come visit his um, gallery that's located on University of Washington. Now you know the story. So you can be that person that says, oh, my God, Jacob Lawrence, you know about his history? And yeah. You, and then someone else can lie and say yes. Yeah, exactly. You, too, can live this story of deception and, uh, I don't know, art. Art. Yeah. But both, both the same thing i don't know uh, <laughs> okay uh well i love you i love you too sorry i've been so snotty nosed anyways oh god yeah hopefully um, it won't show up on the screen all right love you love you